Well, hello there, guys and ghouls. Welcome to another episode of the Perfect Playlist. Or shall I say, Slaylist. And now, here are your ghosts with the most, your frights in shining armor, D-Pro and JD. Have a killer show, boys. Knock them dead. <laughs> Why, th- thank you so much, Mr. Keeper. That's a lot of dad jokes to fit into a 20-second monologue, but you always pull it off. Uh, JD, the show's a little darker than shows we've done before, so it makes perfect sense to have the Keeper lead us in, no? It makes me wish our intro music was the Tales from the Crypt, like Tim Burton-esque organ <laughs> playing. We should. It's, it's, it's a freaking masterpiece. I actually have that, that theme song in my music collection, and it will randomly show up in a, in a shuffle that when I'm poolside at my house. It's, uh, it's pretty <laughs> funny. Poolside? Yeah. You're out sunbathing and whatever. It's great. So welcome to the perfect playlist, everybody. I am D Pro. He is JD. And if you haven't yet, check us out on Twitter at the Perfect PL or on Instagram at the Perfect Playlist Pod. We want to hear from you. We don't say that enough, uh, especially our overseas listeners. We got some people in different countries. We got the UK. We got Australia. Some other tertiary countries. We don't really talk about too much. <laughs> How did you find us? And what do you like about the show? What do you want to hear more of? So we definitely want to hear more from you guys. Absolutely. It's always good to hear from our brethren up north, down south, and in between. So today's episode, JD, marks the first ever negative show that we've ever done. The first show we've ever done that's really rooted in negativity. Yeah. Today we're talking about the darkest period of music history, the aughts. I would say that we're generally positive people. I like to think. I mean, yeah, we will bag on an artist here and there, have some fun with Kathy Lee Gifford like we did <laughs> recently. We saw Jesus, buddy. Two shows ago. He saw Jesus. But the bottom line is we're generally easygoing, fun people, but we had to put a playlist that really had some venom to it. Like We're like, we do not like these songs from 2000 to 2009. These songs really irked us. And evidently, most people out there as well. So we hope you agree. Yeah, and I for for research for the show, I looked a I looked up a lot of worst songs of the aughts, and I didn't necessarily agree with all of them. For instance, uh, "Big Yellow Taxi," "Counting Crows," of Nessa Carlton. I eh. get why people didn't like it, but it doesn't like make my venom come out like it does for other people. Yeah. Nickelback for me, I get why people didn't like Nickelback, eh. and Mr. Kroger will make an appearance in the podcast, but not the full <laughs> band. Spoiler alert! Right, we're getting some Kroger, but. In between, and his boot cut jeans. But between 2000 <laughs> and 2009, the music scene really got lost in the woods. We didn't have that transition like we had you know, from the 60s to the 70s with like acid rock into like the disco era. Sure. And then 80s pop with Michael Jackson and then the 90s with grunge. 2000s, we, everybody was kind of like to, to beat the lost in the woods analogy to death looking around saying, where's our leader? Where do we go? We fell flat. I mean, this led to the emergence of things like Kid Rock and Godsmack and God knows what else in the pop world, which some of which we're going to get into here. So we did a little crowdsourcing for this episode. I went out to Twitter, as did you, and said, we're going to put together a playlist of bad songs from this decade. What makes the list for you? I know for me, one that has to be on there is James Blunt's You're Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's not only you. A lot of people feel that way about the tune. Right? It, I, to me, that was a slam dunk. Yep. That made a lot of sense to put someone like James Blunt and a song like that on this particular playlist. 
of the worst of that era. I'm talking, Deep Row, within an hour, within an hour, I get a message, a DM right to my Twitter from James Blunt himself. I can't believe it. You, know, you sent me the text <laughs> with the screen grab, and it still blows my mind that he actually sought you out. He did. I you, did didn't, you didn't I add the guy. No, I didn't add him. I didn't tag him. I didn't whatever. So that means that James Blunt is literally vanity searching himself hour by hour to see who's talking about him, and he goes at them. I sat on the reply. I was like, what do I say to this fucking guy? Because it's not every day a guy with a number one song will DM you privately, unsolicited, and engage you. And he's known for that, by not not the unsolicited part, but he's known for kind of seeking out comments that are made about his music. Mm-hmm. But I will say that most of it's self-deprecating. Yes. Most of the time he is, uh, in classic Brit fashion, is is kind of heaping the insults upon himself. I, so, you know, I noticed that. With the, with the thinking that, hey, if I make fun of myself, then other people can't. So that's just it. It's know your enemy, right? And so that's what I did. I took a couple minutes, and I went to the internet, and I was like, let me do some Googling. And yes, he has a whole book out about this that was released in November about his, his journey through just this furious, furious backlash online and what he does about it. Let me go through what he wrote to me. And, and then how I decided to reply based on that information that you just pointed out, Deep Pro. And maybe I should do a British accent here. I was going to say, I think you got to, if you're doing that if from his perspective, yeah. So the context is, I just said it was one of the worst songs of the decade it was released. Okay. He replies with, no, it's not. It just got overplayed, and men with small willies thought if they slated it, it might seem, they might seem bigger. By the way, I wrote it at Carrie Fisher's house, and she loved it, as did Paul McCartney and Elton John. But what would they know? Hope you're well and doing something positive. (laughs) So let let us be clear here. He is passive-aggressively telling you you have a small dick without actually saying it. And then the Carrie Fisher thing. He said it was written at Carrie Fisher's house. Yep. And then Paul McCartney. I mean, so for somebody who is all about, like I said, self-deprecation, he seems to be getting pretty damn defensive about this song from some veritable nobody to him anyway. For sure. Our friend Drew said it best when he said, James Blunt, more like James Passive Aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he nailed it, man. He sure did. He sure did. So, again, I, I did, the, did the homework, realized this is what he wants. This is what he, the type of fight he's looking for. So I came back to him with my music knowledge and said, well, McCartney did write A Wonderful Christmas Time. Elton John penned Island Girl. So this argument has some obvious holes. And to his credit, he did reply with, Island Girl's lyrics caught me by surprise there. (laughs) (laughs) So James Blunt having fun with it. I appreciated that. I sure did. The fact that, yes, definitely super weird and alarming that somebody who had a number one hit would be seeking out the general public and what their opinion of the song is still mm-hmm. yeah. after all these years. What has it been like 20 years almost at yeah. this point? Let's call it 20. Uh, but still has a sense of humor about it. I then took it upon myself to invite him on the perfect playlist. I said, let's have a, have a go at me. Come on the show. Because frankly, Deep Pro, if you're coming for JD, if you're coming for the king, you best not miss, as they say. <laughs> is that where we're going with this? <laughs> You best not miss. So what was his reply? Did he reply to that? I guess, no, he didn't reply. So therefore, my first song on this list 
the worst of the 2000s is You're Beautiful by James Blunt. So guess what, pal? You made the list. He loses. And this crappy false start he does. Oh, or he, he starts the song. Like, and then, is, yeah. like, no. This atonal guitar here. Blunt, you got an enemy in me, bud. My life is brilliant. Yeah, there's that false start. No, start it over, pal. I'm waiting with bated breath. It has character now because he did the false start, right? <laughs> but y'all know this song. It, it, it's My love is pure. supposedly it's about really a high dude stalking some person on the subway. Yeah, I mean stalking might be a bit much, but it really is. Like I know, I know some women at the time who wanted this to be their wedding song, without really thinking about what the what the lyric is saying. And it really is, to your point, there's a line in the song that's taken out of the radio edit where he says, I was, I was fucking high. Instead, right. they changed it to, I was flying high, which <laughs> I guess, same difference, right? But, you know, high on a train, seeing a beautiful woman that you know you're never going to have a relationship with. So definitely not a wedding song. No, not at all. Um, just because it's slow doesn't mean it's sentimental in that sense of pure love. It's more like this longing and... He actually wrote this about seeing his ex-girlfriend. After seeing his ex-girlfriend on the subway with her new man, they locked eyes and didn't say anything. And then he went ahead and wrote this song like some sad sack. She locked eyes with the new boyfriend or locked eyes with... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, buddy. I know where you live. (laughs) But actually, I don't mind this song. All of these songs, I will say, first and foremost, all of these songs have their place. And all of them... In and of itself, in and of themselves, aren't terribly written songs. It's a fine song. It's just that the the song just got overplayed to the point of, uh, you know. And I know Blunt has mentioned this in his replies before. Yeah, just my, got, my new buddy Blunt. Yeah. It just got overplayed. It, and, it sure did. And then it becomes it becomes compartmentalized as this song that people hate just because they're tired of hearing it. And that's just it. I don't need to hear this song more than once. It's not. An awful song, but because I heard it so much, it, it, it really drowned it out for me. To quote Blunt himself, he said, It's probably one of the least meaningful songs on the album, and by no means people's favorite. The album is like a book covering various aspects of life in a specific order. <laughs> so so I mean, pretentious. Come on, how much credit are you going to give yourself, Blunt? Yeah, you didn't write Dark Side of the Moon, pal. You, you wrote whatever the fuck this was called. Creepy High Guy on a Subway, Volume 1. So I think he made, because of his quirky humor, I think he made people give the song a second listen. Mm-hmm. You know, like definitely with me. You know, because I, like my mother used to own this album and she'd play it in the car and stuff like that. So that's where I'd hear it a lot or on Z100 or whatever in the New York area. But I kind of compartmentalized it as, okay, this is a song, a Light FM song and everyone here again. Yeah. But now because he has this Twitter persona, I don't know. I'm giving it a second thought. Gave it gave it some uh, some new life. He reversed the curse a little bit. He sure did. The Deep Row curse, which is a fabled one through time. But it, it, <laughs> it is, but like I can, but I've, I can kind of get behind the whole idea of him having this whole second career going after people who are talking about his past achievements. That would be like me in 10, 15 years going after people who said that my podcast sucks. And it'd be like, actually, the podcast was pretty great. All the critics said so, Bob. So I, I did the podcast in Carrie Fisher's house, and all these people liked it, and you don't know what you're talking about. My cousin said Carrie Fisher probably thought he was singing happy birthday to her. 
That's why she liked it. A lot of quaaludes and uh, other stuff involved in there. Cousin Billy Perone dropping a dropping a one liner. I love it. Um, but yeah, so in terms of how this was received by critics and whatnot, it wasn't received very well. I have to say. Um, it was also deemed the most irritating song of all time based on a UK uh, polling company. Also on that list was My Heart Will Go On and Macarena. So in other words, this is a heavyweight in the in the irritating to one's ears category. That, that's, a, that's a little much for me, putting it in the same category as those tunes, especially the Macarena. Well, keep in mind, too, this was done in the UK where he's from and... You don't get a hometown discount on that. <laughs> I mean, this, the, your hometown folks don't get behind you and push for you. I don't know. Do you remember the the video for this song at all, where he's just stripping his clothes? Yeah. I mean, I think metaphorically, probably what they're going for is him shedding the old baggage of the relationship, realizing he'll never have this person. Kind you're, of. Thing. You're assuming a lot, by the I, way. I really am. But it just comes off like this bad underwear ad. You know this. It's almost like a Calvin Klein reject ad, real time that we have to watch. It does. You think at the time they thought that maybe he'd be a sex symbol, so like Ugh. James, just in case people like are, you know, put you on this pedestal as a sex symbol, just start taking off clothes in the video. Yes, and then that may attract people to the song and yes, push you to the next level. Show us your Willie. <laughs> <laughs> but Rolling Stone put this song on on number seven on the list of their top 10 most annoying songs of all time. The number one song? What? Your choice. The next track on the Perfect Playlist, Worst Song of the Aughts. What a seg. What a seg. My Humps, Black Eyed Peas. Released in September 2005. Long before she massacred the national anthem. (laughs) Fergie was earning money being awful on the radio as well. (laughs) Let's hear a little bit. Check it out. I drive these brothers crazy. I do it on the day. They treat me really so terrible. Nice. I mean, I just like I get why if you if you like were drunk in a club, this would do it for you. But the critics did not like this song. But despite the negative response from music critics, JD, this song won best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals at the 49th annual Grammy Award. This is a Grammy Award winning song. And it was a commercial success, reaching the top 10 in 15 countries worldwide. Do you know who the nominees were that they beat to win the Grammy? I mean, I know it was a minefield at that time in terms of pop music, but go ahead. Let's hear it. The Fray. Oof. Yeah. Very much stuck in the in the, in the early aughts. The Pussycat Dolls. <laughs> Keen. I do kind of like Keen, but come on now. Keen's not bad. And Death Cab for Cutie. But Keen's like very niche. I'm shocked they were up in this category. I was surprised too. Yeah. I thought that was a song that only I had heard. Yeah. So I, it's funny you mentioned the Pussycat Dolls because Will I Am wrote this song. I think the lyrics as well, not Fergie. And he actually wrote this for the Pussycat Dolls. Really? Yeah. So this this wasn't good enough for the Pussycat Dolls in their <laughs> I think I would have hated it. I would have hated it no matter what, I think. <laughs> but hey, this song really sends home that when women aren't being objectified men, they're doing it all by themselves. <laughs> Right? Yeah, I think I do. I do agree with you there. So now that we're all woke, I do think that this is um, objectification masked as empowerment, right? I, you know, this is someone asserting why they're so sexy and power yeah, yeah. empowered over men and things like that. But it's really, it's not. It, it doesn't. It doesn't come across that way to me at all. No, not at all. And I, I understand. 
I don't want to come across as a total grump, a total prude. Yeah. I understand music's allowed to be fun. But this song, it's just, it's shallow, man. It's sha-la-la-la-lo. <laughs> it's, it's pandering, first yeah. and foremost. And it's not really all that inventive lyrically or musically. No, if you write this way, make it witty. Like, yeah. for example, 10 years before this, the Bloodhound Gang was was had their moment in the sun. Oh, with the bad touch? Yeah, like the bad touch. In other words, make it kind of funny. Make yeah. it kind of humorous. Talking about sex and, and sure. sexuality and whatnot. Absolutely. This song does not do any of that. No, it doesn't. At all. It's just like, it's literally the same idea over and over and over again. Yeah. Speaking of which, the phrase, my humps, is repeated 34 times in this song. It's about 34, 34 times, times too much. 34 times too much. And the early aughts was when I stopped trying to pretend I could go to clubs and actually enjoy myself. <laughs> and I think the Black Eyed Peas and songs like this were like the final straw. Yeah, it and was pretty bad. You're dancing to this and Akon and God knows Soldier Boy. It was as if like Will I Am was the bouncer, and he came over to me symbolically and said, "Excuse me, sir, come with me. This is not the place for you." There's a nice Panera bread across the street. You can yeah. get a nice Tuscan sandwich. We can forget all this <laughs> nice ever happened. Nice Tuscan sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get out of here with your broke ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I realize I'm not the audience for this, but come on. This is a terrible song. You're not. But what do you what do you think the humps are? What what do you imagine that the actual humps she's referencing are here? Bo boobs and butt. Boobs and butt. Okay. Yeah. I, I almost feel like it's one or the other. Not that I have any skin in this game so to speak. I think it's a one in one A situation. <laughs> it's the boobies and it's the butt depending on your butt situation. The whole package. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. But yeah, this song lasted more than nine months on the Billboard Hot 100 all in. It was a bona fide hit. I mean, 16 weeks in the top 10. This is just, this just goes to show how lost we were musically in the 2000s. That this was a major hit and that the Black Eyed Peas were like a showcase act. Yeah. That they were the mo one of the most popular acts of the era. Super Bowl performers. Awful Super oh, Bowl performance. I forgot about that. My God. Yeah, we talked about that on a previous show, what we think about Super Bowl performances. But there is no doubt in my mind they are one of the worst of all time. The fact that I barely remember it probably cements that fact. Yeah. Google Slash coming out and doing Sweet Child of Mine with Fergie on vocals and you'll... You'll That's get up. Right. Oh, God. I, I had a blunt reminder, if you will. I had suppressed that memory, JD, <laughs> for all these years. And why did you bring it back? Fer I think Fergie's the biggest phony of all time, by the oh, way. Oh, absolutely. There's some fun parodies of this song. You have to check out um, Alanis Morissette doing a, a piano version of this. It's really cool. And also Peaches, the electronic artist, she did, um, she mimicked Alanis's version, but then she also did a version called My Dumps. Where she's taking like uh, chocolate glazed donuts and, and doing things with them, so it's <laughs> it's pretty funny. I always enjoy peaches. That's cool. All right, this next one is a doozy. I actually don't know what to say about it, so I will let it speak for itself. It is uh, probably the only song on the playlist that, whereas the version people have probably not heard before. No, and this did not get airplay. So let's uh, let me just qualify it with that. Old Dirty Bastard and Macy Gray, duetting. <laughs> Sounds terrible already. And covering. Don't go breaking my heart. Just prepare your ears, my friends. Yo, this is Damon Elliott. We got all this shit. Dame Dash, pit me on gay, baby. Pimple this is now Macy Gray. Old Dirty Bastard. Who the fuck thought it would hit like this? What? What? Where's my chain, baby? Where's my chain? Oh! oh, 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 o
So you get the gist of it, right? Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good on it. I really think there's a methane leak in the studio. <laughs> you know, don't go breaking my heart, JD, but you've already broken my faith in humanity that anybody could allow this recording to be released into the wild. I mean, you gotta think. Sir Ellen John, who wrote the original, performed with Kiki D, yeah. has to sign off on this to be made, you would think. Uh, maybe this was between tours and he needed some money. I don't know. <laughs> but did you ever find, because I know when you brought this to the table, and rightfully so, you weren't sure whether this was a parody or not, whether this was done ironically. I had no idea. I thought for sure it was like an ODB impersonator and a Macy Gray impersonator just yeah. having fun. This sounds like an SNL skit that would have happened. I mean, to me, this sounds like like two unattractive people that you know are dating. And you finally find out they're fucking each other. And this is probably what it sounds like. I, I think so. But I, I will say that I feel bad for Macy Gray. I think she's a legit artist. I think she's, you know, kind of she has a distinguishable voice. I think she's good. I think she probably should have been a little bit bigger than she was. Uh, but this is this this song reminds me of like in science class in high school where mm -hmm. they would pair you up with a lab partner and the teacher would always try to balance it out and you knew you were stupid if you if you got paired with like the super quiet smart person yeah i got paired with this real tall asian kid in science class in high school and that's when i knew i was stupid because they would not he was the smartest kid in the school didn't know a word i don't think he knew english never spoke at all right. but he would have me like like hold the beaker when he poured the like the compound into it wow that's trust that was my that was my job that's that's like the uh the, the trust fall <laughs> you gotta hold the chemical reaction in your hand i had to hold it and sometimes i'd hold his lab coat like you know oh that's hold. adorable exactly but <laughs> but they know these smart people they know how to utilize the the underlings I, but i have no idea what's going on behind us as we're talking here <laughs> But, like, whose idea was it to have ODB, like, actually try to sing? I I do admire the fact that this man could jump into a studio and just not give a fuck about anything. His oh, career, yeah. his brand, his tone, clearly. Like, I don't think he went to bed that night and thought, man, I really missed the mark on this song. <laughs> I got to try that again. But this song, so this song wasn't officially released. This is the third and final, supposed to be, the third and final studio album from ODB before he died. Uh, then it was supposed to be released after his death in 2005, but um, Damon Dash and Jay-Z's Rockefeller Records, they said, we're not putting this out. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> Wait, so this was like his swan song? This was potentially the last song he ever recorded? Could have been. Yeah. Imagine this as be being your send-off. <laughs> Listen to this shit. Uh, wow. Why didn't I play this at my wedding? I don't know if you remember, but I think two shows ago, I said how Get Low, the, the Lil John song, was almost like if HPV was a song. Yeah. Well, this song is almost like bong water in your cereal with a residue from a crack pipe sprinkled on like sugar. It's so much. It caters to absolutely nobody, too. Yeah, like I want to stop the show. Like I need a break. It, it's a lot to process. Holy cow. All right, so let's shift over to the lighter side of sports and uh, get it going here with... Another song that was, I would say, a relatively, relatively big hit for the returning Santana and uh, yeah. a man who lived on the charts during the aughts, yeah, Chad I mean, Groger of Nickelback. I mean, Rob Thomas struck gold with them. Michelle Brand struck copper. So the record company <laughs> got bold and 
tried to do it again with the most notorious singer of the 21st century. Here's Why Don't You and I. Since the moment I spawned in you, like walking around with little wings on my shoes, my stomach's filled with the butterflies. When it's alright, bouncing around about the cloud, I got the feeling like I'm never gonna come down. If I said I didn't like it, then you know I'd lie. Every time I try to talk to you, I get so tired. Turns out that everything I say to you comes out wrong and never comes out right. So I'll say why don't we and I get together and sing all the world be together and we'll so why don't you and I record this atrocious fucking song <laughs> by Santana, accompanied by Nickelback's Chad Kroger. And for me, it just comes across so tryhard. Pairing Carlos Santana with the flavor of the month had been working up until this point, for me at least. Santana's Latin-infused guitar licks paired with Kroger's froggy-ass vocals just didn't <laughs> jive for me. Not to mention, JD, these are maybe the worst lyrics I've ever heard in a popular song in my life. Literally, I think a kindergartner wrote these words as a homework assignment. Just write a pretty poem about a boy you think's extra special. And this is the drivel that came out. Bouncing around from cloud to cloud, I got a feeling I'm never going to come down. Everything I say to you comes out wrong. Finally, some truth, because everything you say is coming out wrong. Like a lovesick puppy chasing you around. Can you get any more basic with your analogies? If only Carlos Santana... I don't think Carlos Santana spoke English, by the way, because if he did, he would not have allowed this shit to get released <laughs> to the public. Well... Two things there. You, you, you backed up the truck and dumped it on us, which I love about your delivery sometimes, and it really worked here. Uh, so what I want to know is, well, two things. Carlos Santana does speak English, but number two, what bothers you more, this or Smooth by Rob Tom, with Rob Thomas and Santana? Oh, this much more. Mm -hmm. Smooth, I think, is a, is a good single. I think that, you know, like I think that... Yeah, I mean, it's not a great song, you know, mm -hmm. in the traditional sense, right? And there's some corniness to it, but sure. I think Rob Thomas's vocal with and the production behind it paired with Carlos Santana, I think worked way better than Chad Kroger paired with Carlos Santana. It's just a mismatch for me. I hear you. I love Santana's guitar work. Um, Rolling Stone on their list, and I really enjoy their lists, listed him at number 20 on their list of 100 greatest guitarists of all time, and I agree with that. The guy smokes. Oh, he's great. I mean, listen right here. He's just playing with it. And in pop, that kind of guitar work doesn't really exist. So I'm glad this hit as a pop song for Santana's sake. Uh, not, not for my so much sake, for, though. Not, <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> not for your fucking ears, but... Uh. And it's just like this... I know you don't think that this is kind of a derivative of, like, the Creed vocal and, like, the whole no. like, gritty type of vocal, but... I, for me, it's the lyrics. If they had different lyrics to this song and it wasn't Chad Kroger, I think that I'd be kind of okay with it. But I think those, everything that comes together, this comes across a very offensive way to my ears. <laughs> I get that. And I do think the Nickelback hate, I'm, I'm probably in the minority in thinking this, but I do feel the minor, the Nickelback hate has gone too far. I agree with that. I don't think they're as terrible as people make them out to be. I actually think Saving Me is a very good song. I actually think How You Remind Me is a pretty good song. How You Remind Me is a good song. It's just Power a, pop. a victim of its own success. For sure. But these guys, I mean, but some clunkers in that mix, though. I mean, the, the Rockstar the song. Pho photograph. Oh, I was going there next. Yeah. Photograph, a shite song. Total shit song. 
so yeah, and, and then plus Kroger didn't really help himself in the eyes of the public by marrying Avril Lavigne. Yeah. Or being ugly, that didn't help him either. <laughs> so a lot of people are like, why is this frosted haired, you know, as I said earlier, boot cut jean wearing weirdo from Canada marrying Avril Lavigne, like who was also Canadian. But nonetheless, it just it was just a weird pairing in most people's minds and did not help the nickelback brand or Are they are they still together? They no, they divorced. Yeah, yeah, they divorced. I was kind of hoping she'd stay with the guy from Sum 41, who she was with before that. Really? Yeah. Was she just making her way through terrible music of the aughts? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Love Santana, though. I have a couple of his old records upstairs that I got from my father-in-law, and which enabled me for free to do a deep dive on his music, and he's just so cool. I love this story about about uh, Santana at Woodstock, if you'll allow me to digress. And this is the last point on Kroger and Santana, I promise you. Um, he showed up to Woodstock and didn't really know where he was on the bill. Ran into Jerry Garcia. Garcia's like, oh, you're playing after us tonight, you know? And he's like, oh, well, what time is that? And Garcia's like, we go on at 2 a.m. So Santana's thinking like, okay, I go on at 3 a.m. Garcia then says, all right, well, why don't you relax before you go on? Hands him some LSD. He takes the LSD Someone within minutes, I mean, talking like within 20 to 40 minutes, which is probably the time that this drug needed to hit, I, I would assume. I've never done it. But they then said to, to got up in Santana's face and were like, if you don't play now, we can't get you on the bill kind of thing. So he had to go on stage stuck and play just completely tripping on acid. Holy shit. His whole set. Like, I mean, tripping on acid. So he, he feels this cringeworthy performance for him. But if you look back at the video, just know he's blotto. He's out of his mind at that time. I thought you were leading towards the Grateful Dead was going on at two. And that at three o'clock, they were still in the middle of their fucking first song. (laughs) (laughs) Those jam bands. I I just like, I appreciate the art as a musician. Yeah. Nobody needs a song that's like 25 minutes long. For sure. All right. So our next one up on the worst of the aughts. This one's a wrist slitter for me for a few reasons. It's this... Kick up the leaves and the magic is lost A time where your blue skies fade to gray A time where your passion's gone away And I don't need no care or You stand in the line just to hit a new low. I'm not waiting for the chorus to come in, but this is Bad Day by Daniel Powder, 2006. <laughs> don't even bother waiting. Number one song, by the way. So this is information from Wikipedia, our Bible, right, J.D.? <laughs> okay. Bad Day is a mid-tempo pop power ballad performed in a moderate groove and accompanied by a piano. If you didn't know that. If you didn't have ears. The song is composed in the key E flat major and uses syncopated 16th note rhythms. According to the sheet music published by musicnotes.com by Warner Brothers, Powder's vocals range from the notes E flat to D flat. I'll take people who have way too much fucking time on their hands for a thousand, Alex. Who on earth actually wrote this article? Who broke down Bad Day like it was Bach's Fifth Symphony? Like, who actually <laughs> writes this stuff? Where do you think this dude is now, Daniel Powder? My thought, he's he's working one of those mall kiosks selling, like, slap bracelets and, like, incense or something. I think he's selling insurance somewhere. Right? 
it's got. Uh, how do you how do you bounce off this? Which he didn't. He obviously, I think he should go the how James. Do, you pivot? The, do the James Blunt thing mm. and just go after people like you who are talking shit about him on Twitter. <laughs> and look, coming for the king. Look, I don't. I don't hate this song in and of it. This is another class. I know I'm a broken record. I do hate this song though. I will say. I think it being American Idol's elimination song sealed its fate. It well, became synonymous with losing. The song wasn't a hit before that. Yep. So American Idol helped push this song to the forefront and then, you know, as I said earlier, made it a number one. Yeah. So real quick story about this, J.D. I was actually like a family friend of my wife's at the time we were dating invited us to a wedding. We barely knew the people, but it was this guy who was like 20 years old and his fiance at the time was 18. It was a shotgun wedding. <laughs> at that age, it usually is. Yeah. So... The DJ was terrible, just playing all sorts of music that you would not play at a wedding. So we, during the cocktail hour, fucking play Daniel Powder's Bad Day. No. And the bri- just because it was current? I guess so. But the bride like bolted across the dance floor. Yeah. I mean, thematically, that's incongruous. It's your wedding day? Yeah. And you're going to play it's a, You Had a Bad Day? Well, they did get, di- they did get divorced, so it checks out. <laughs> right? I love that. I love stories like that. But I, I mean, I remember being appalled, like, holy shit, he's playing Bad Day. I think Deep Pro, of the generation that we're in now, of my friends who did get married in their 20s or early 20s, you're, I think, the only one I know that's still going strong. Yeah. Good for you. Doesn't surprise me, yeah. Looks like even though you've had a bad day sometimes, you get through it together as a couple. I, I think that's we're doing me, a little cu- marriage maybe, marriage talk here. Digging deep, maybe that's what the DJ was trying to get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was going conceptual. You had a, needed a couple of connections to get there. So, I mean, some of the lyrics in this really, really bother me. Like, you're faking a smile with the coffee to go. And that's fucking grown worthy. It's pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's also what helped cement it as a song that would be on this list. If this song came out today as a as a pop song to be released i think it get destroyed i think people have evolved past this style of gloomy stupid writing i i think you're probably right and i i have very little sense of what would be popular now but i know that this style of music it's like any port in a storm we didn't know we didn't have anything we had no god we had no (laughs) field general to lead us in the in the aught so we would really kid rock spoiler alert kid (laughs) rock was our god he was our field general. <laughs> yeah. Where are we going now, Still Mr. Is. Rock? Where are we going now? <laughs> this next song, JD, is a fairly cold open, so I'm going to say this now. The song declares it's awful in record fucking time. Three seconds in to the track, it announces boldly that the song is going to be terrible. So strap in. Let me be your hero. <laughs> right there. Right that's, in the ears. That's rough. It's like, you know, we're not even going to beat around the bush. This is going to be a shit fest right here. Would you dance if I asked you to dance? Would you run and never look back? Would you cry? All right, let's come in. Is, this is, I, I can't last 10 more seconds till we get to the chorus or whatever it is. I, I love that. I'm going to pull back the curtain a bit. I love that I'm the guy with the buttons and the quote-unquote power to bring us back in, but Deep Row comes right in on mic like, fuck this. I'm weird. I'm watching that audio button. When my mic is on, I'm going to start. I just can't. I'm not We're waiting. Coming back I am not waiting. We're coming the fuck back in. So this is a song most likely to ruin a 9-11 audio montage. 
It's a pile of dog shit known as Hero by Enrique Iglesias. And this is what happens, J.D., when famous people have good-looking children. Mm. Yes. Right? So Julio Iglesias, famous Latin singer, sure. has this super attractive son who decides he wants to get into music like his dad, and we just have to accept it. You know, we have to accept it that, hey, this guy is going to be part of our lives whether we like it or not. It's like he's going for emotion here, but it he's selling me like this breathy intimacy with the vocal. That's the, that's exactly, it's like you read my mind. Okay. The come hither breathy delivery yeah. is fucking ridiculously unnecessary. Oof. This song would have fit perfectly on the sex songs episode because this is understatingly a sex song. I'm going to be your hero with my with my heart on because <laughs> this comes across as like a sex crazed boyfriend whose girl wants to wait till marriage. You know, she was raised right wing Catholic. And this guy's like, have you seen this beautiful bouquet of flowers I brought you? Also, I've written you a lovely poem. Not sure if you've read that. <laughs> now, let's get to it because the pre-com is seeping through my boxer briefs. The pre-com is, <laughs> the pre-com is making me think thoughts. This, this <laughs> ungodly thoughts. So, JD, this song was released September third, two thousand one. So, yeah, definitely not a good month in American history on a oh few levels. God. A couple days before a bad day. And, no pun and, intended. And I mean, for that reason, I'm not even trying to be funny. No, I know, right? It was it was eight days before the attack. So, for that reason, it got entangled in nine eleven lore, being the song radio stations mashed up with audio footage of the attacks. Here are some other songs that were released right before the attacks that would have been better choices. Lady Marmalade. That would have been better. Yep, sure. Hanging by a Moment by Lifehouse. Bootylicious. Okay, we'll bring another back. Another track that would have been better paired with 9-11 attack footage other than this piece of shit. Uh, he actually performed at the 9-11 tribute. And, oh, I know. And so... They made him sing this song, which is about him trying to get some tail. Let's let's face it. Yeah. And then they shoehorned it into this this hero delivery of like American heroes and frontline heroes. And he said, and I quote, after I was done singing the song, looking around, everybody was crying. I almost felt like crying. <laughs> I almost felt something. I almost felt like crying. Like, fucking cry on after 9-11, you asshole. You sanctimonious son of a bitch. JD, I remember where it was the first time I heard it. Everybody remembers where they were the first time when when, uh, when Kennedy was shot. I remember where I was the first time I heard this shit, the piece of shit song. Absolutely. I was pulling up the band practice at my, my guitarist Andy's house. I had like Z100 on or whatever because this was like before the era of like Spotify and everything. And it came on and I immediately called my girlfriend at the time and said, there's this real piece of shit song that's on the radio. You're going to fucking love it. <laughs> it's such a piece of shit. Yeah. It was written for you. It was. You know, like, and she, and she, would, she likes that type of music, still does. And I was right. She loved it. She got the album. I think she saw it live. I think she saw him live and everything. I see the appeal. I see the appeal to Enrique, just like I see the, saw the appeal to Ricky Martin when we did him two, two episodes ago. Um, though I have to wonder with Enrique, what happened to the mole? He took it off. It just went away. He did. Yeah, he removed. He fake, removed them all. Do you think it was a fake one, like a like a paste on or something like, like that? Getting, trying to get sympathy here. <laughs> that would be amazing. I don't know. Oh, but yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, you're in the dentist chair. You're getting a filling done. This song comes on. Like it's like every single time. This it, and Richard Marks. Yes, it is dentist and doctor office music. 
at this point, and that's why it makes the playlist for some of the worst songs within the odds. What's the other one he has? The Balamos. <laughs> oh, and also Rhythm Divine, which oh, may be a no. mo- th- which might be a bigger offense in this song. All I need. And uh, Be With You is another one, too. Oh, it was, Christ. I think, actually a bigger hit than this. You know way too much about this man's library. This is what happens when we... Re- and that's what I was talking about, J.D., is we had to research on things that we hated. Yes. Legitimately. Yes. You know, like... We had to spite research. It was not fun at all to research for this show. Let's transition out of hero to... The hero to many, and that's Buck Cherry. <laughs> I mean, that's a menthol cigarette voice right there (laughs) singing that. It really is. Buck Cherry and Crazy Bitch. All right, so a song to definitely, absolutely guaranteed to lower your IQ, your musical but, IQ, but raise your testosterone. <laughs> yeah, It'll, you'll feel it in the balls, right in the testes, in the vast deferens. I actually, I, I own this song, and I, I, I like it. I you like own this song. this song. I have this song in my music catalog. Yeah. At so, one point, I bought it for ninety nine cents. Wow, I, 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 I'm like gobsmacked right now. I, I would not know what to say to Depro purchasing this song. This is incongruous with the rest of your music library. I would say, I, I, it's a hey, it's a for me, it's a fun rock song. It, it's a rock out with your cock out song. It is a rock, which is not like this is me when I get super naughty, right? Oh. Do tell. This is musical. Por- <laughs> this is like musical porn for me. Okay. It's not the stuff that I want like visible to the public, but this is something I, I I sing along to when I'm feeling super dangerous. Interesting. And I'm, when I'm driving down, you know, the parkway here in New Jersey, <laughs> and I want to really let the world know that I'm a dangerous man. Yeah, you're with, doing 67 and a 65 with feelings. Yeah. <laughs> willing feelings. to do dangerous things. I'm gonna blast this. And I'm going to scream along with it. So, hey, I'm telling you right now, I almost vetoed this song because I, I do like this song. Is it a is it a well-put-together song? Is it a great song mechanically? No. But I think we know that. We do. I mean, it's so bad, it's good. To me. I think we've, I think we've hit on, finally hit on a song. And we talked about this. Our biggest challenge is getting out of this episode without starting to like the songs that we're putting on the list. We're like 90 seconds in, and I think we're already... Liking this song once again. Um, this should be on a best list, JD, not a worst list. <laughs> the problem is nowadays it just doesn't fit on any playlist anymore. Other, if you're, unless you're a stripper, um, yeah. or you know, like we saw in the video meme of that woman walking down, which I highly recommend you YouTube. By the way, the woman at oh. her own wedding walking down to this song quite proudly. Please YouTube "Crazy Bitch Wedding March." Oh. It's amazing. It's the trashiest, funniest thing I've ever seen. It's better than Star Wars. Super cringy. Oof. Better than Star Wars. <laughs> it, really, it, it, is a, it is an achievement for the video medium. I will say that. Yeah, it's a bride essentially singing this song as she walks down the aisle. And I can't... I mean, I can't, I can't hear this song any longer without thinking of that cringe, cringe-worthy video. I mean, it is a cringe song, so it makes sense that you would associate it with something that's cringeworthy. 
the idea for this song came to the singer. He was driving around Los Angeles thinking about how funny it was that Paris Hilton's sex tape leaked and catapulted her to fame. So he was thinking about like how all the crazy women in his life and that kind of uh, sparked the idea. But I love hearing the genesis of this song, by the way. <laughs> exactly. It's like Stairway to Heaven. How'd you come up with it, Robert? Exactly. Here's the best part about the genesis of this song. So he actually was so like happy with the thought about this meandering on this concept that he didn't have anything with him in the car. So he, he called his mother's actually her answering machine. So he wouldn't forget it. And he told her, don't erase this. I want to remember it. We'll talk about it later. And then sang, you, um, you're a crazy bitch. You fuck so good. I can't handle it. There was nobody else he could call and leave this on the machine. Oh, let's see. Mom's the only one with an answering machine. I could call her. I guess at the time he didn't have voice notes on his phone he could record into, a tape recorder, anything. Hey, Mom, I'm bringing the hot cross buns to dinner on Sunday. But that aside. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Me and the kids will be over on Sunday for a regular dinner, you know. Right. We'll bring the breadsticks, but also, you're a crazy bitch. You fuck so good. I'm, you I know. like the way you fuck me. <laughs> Save it, Mom. Dude, I would rather have just, like, scrapped this song for eternity than leave this on my mother's answering machine. Oh, my God. So, this next song, and I will say, it's not the worst song of the era. However, when you're fighting an army, the most important man or woman to take down is the general. And here, folks is the general of the emo army. Oh. I'm missing your bed. I never sleep. Avoiding the spots where we'd have to speak. And this bottle of beast is taking me home. I'm cuddling close to blankets and sheets. But you're not alone. You're not discreet. Make sure I know who's taking you home. All right, so this is Screaming Infidelities by Dashboard Confessional, really the kings of the emo genre. And I wanted to recognize emo on this playlist because I fucking hate it. This uh, is a good representation of it, by the way. I think it was. And I don't, again, I don't think Very this, good. this in and of itself, I don't think this is like the worst song of the emo era, but I really think no, it's, it defines it. Though. It is representative yeah. of, of what the era was. Yeah, guilty as charged. And. It's not only that the predominant aspect of the music was its whininess, but there really was kind of a, a, a lack of dynamic and a lack of talent. You know, I think artists like this really empowered people who didn't have a lot of talent to, to pick up, especially white guys who didn't have a lot of talent <laughs> to pick up an acoustic guitar and get behind a microphone. Now, don't, you know, this is not to encourage an attack on myself, JD, just so you know. I don't want <laughs> Yeah, I feel like huh, I'm holding Deep Rose holding up the mirror right here right now. <laughs> so, um, but well, I'm going to let him go. So, the get the, so artists like the Get Up Kids, Taking Back Sunday, it wasn't all terrible, but it definitely should not have been propped up in the way it was. It wasn't all terrible, but it every, all bleeds together in my mind. Every every single vocalist like just, sounded exactly the same. Uh, all the themes were the same. It was all kind of derivative of the same themes of self-doubt or sitting in a coffee shop lamenting that you order the tall and not the venti, you know, real white people problems. I think for this one in particular, it's like just write an idiotic song with a lousy arrangement, you know, for some emotions that teenagers can relate to. And then suddenly you're considered successful. And the guy behind this, Chris Caraba, dashboard confessional, really super, put the super hot guy. Put the put the suck in success, <laughs> right? But <laughs> with like, this one, we've talked about how like if he was not this like super attractive guy, which he still is, right? 
they would not be as popular as they are. No. You know, they kind of hit at the right time. And I think people, because we were coming off of like the grunge area era several years earlier, people were looking for like a disturbed artist, like a misunderstood artist. And I think misinterpreted this as good music. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm surprised we didn't put Disturbed on this list of early aughts, bad music. Yeah. But yeah. Which track would you put on? I don't know. There, there's so many choices to me. But, I mean, they but, were certainly eligible, but I, yeah. I, I still stand by the artists we put on this list. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And this is this is a fine one because this represents that, that post-Blink-182 genre of, like, it's okay to feel and, like, pound power chords. And really, this song is about being cheated on unbeknownst to him and then finding out and so one of the things he points out about in this song that's really weird and that a lot of people cling to are the the hairs that are left behind from the new lover in this woman's car and so the hairs she left behind that are still like tormenting him he feels like they're they're screaming infidelities at him um you sure this wasn't like pubic hair that she had trimmed and that's left in I'm the going, shower. That's exactly where I was about to go. We know each other so, so well at we this do. point. Yeah. We're so synced up. We can finish each other's sentences, JD. <laughs> Just some random toilet uh, toilet bowl pubes. Just <laughs> gone astray. I want Chris Caraba to come out with the truth. Yeah. This is about pubes on the toilet seat. Exactly. Stop hitting us with this fake news. <laughs> So this, so this song, just so we can act like professionals, this song hit 22 oh, yes. on, on the alternative charts. Oh, yes. Here was, here was its relevance in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Drop some knowledge bombs. Meanwhile, we just transitioned, segued off of pubic hair. Speaking of two pubic hairs that can sing, we've got Savage Garden. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. The sappy, syrupy. I mean, this is enough sap to make some syrup for IHOP. Savage Garden, I Knew I Loved You. Maybe it's intuition But some things you just don't question Like in your eyes I see my future in an instant And there it goes I think I found my best friend I know that it might sound Hit me with that chorus, man. I feel like I feel like these guys, JD, wouldn't be so maligned if the name of their band wasn't fucking Savage Garden. Savage Garden. There's nothing savage about this style of music. If these guys were known as like the Bergman brothers, two nice Jewish gentlemen who were just putting out nice music. They're playing bar mitzvahs and, and uh, yeah, everywhere in the tri-state area. And how on earth, by the way, not to get too technical here, how could you love somebody before you met them? Is this like a fucking minority report situation here? But I agree. It's so creepy. It's 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 like this whole subscription to love at first sight, which many songs have been written about. You know, this isn't even first sight. They haven't even met them. Right. That's like if you would walked up to. It's like it's like just go back to you're beautiful. If if James Blunt had walked up to that girl, say it's not an ex girlfriend, walked up to that girl on the on the train and said like. I fell in love with you yesterday. Right. Come home with me, bitch. <laughs> that would be a super weird situation. It sure would. I don't it, know why I said bitch, but still. It's okay. Yeah, it's very aggressive. But, yeah. 
but honestly, where there's a Walgreens pharmacy, there's Savage Garden. You will hear this, no doubt about it, in any pharmacy in any town, USA. So this band was two guys. Classic situation, right? Two people in the band. Yeah. Darren Hayes and Daniel Jones, the Jet, uh, the Giants quarterback, I guess. He had a previous <laughs> career before this. Before he was fumbling right. the snap. <laughs> but he was singing shit like this. So in August of 2007, Hayes was asked by the Daily Telegraph if he and Jones would ever consider a reunion, and he replied abruptly, no, never. Wow. I, once said, I, I once said I'd only do it if it cured cancer, and that's still how I feel. We all agree, Darren. We do not need the reunion to happen. <laughs> We're with you on that. Yeah, I'd rather have an aggressive disease than have to uh, perform this music live or hear it again. So, so confession, JD. Yeah, sure. Speaking of Savage Garden, I this is embarrassing. This is tough. This might be the biggest confession I've made on the show. Go ahead. I own the cassette single for Truly Madly Deeply. No. I did. I had it. Wow. I didn't give a shit. I did not care. This I'll was like early 2000s. I want to bathe with you in the ocean or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I remember going to the music store to buy it. And you know when you would buy condoms, you'd buy something else to distract the cashier? Uh-huh. I got a Pearl Jam hat with it to take attention from the way, <laughs> from the Jam. fact that I was purchasing a Savin, Savage Garden cassette. I threw it out there like she wasn't going to notice. <laughs> Those guys are dropping yellow lead better and you're, uh, <laughs> and you're soaking in truly madly deeply. In fairness to me, the hat was on sale. It was like five ninety nine, five yeah, for the Pearl Jam Gambit. I like yeah. it, I like it. But this song was a number one hit, which you know I do believe around the turn of the century. Again, music was a little weak, looking for its find its footing, which is why we have this playlist. Yep. But this song spent four weeks at number one. It was the first number one by an Australian artist. This sounds like a song, and yes, they are Australian. In, in quite a while. So we yeah. are appeasing our Australian listeners out there. With whom this, we love. This sounds like a song that would have been released by Christopher Cross in like 1986. Uh, weddings around this time. Again, I went to very young weddings around this time, which are all defunct. Uh, and this song was definitely played as part of the like slow ballad. It's like coming out of Play That Funky Music. They'll put this on while everyone's still out there and with the hopes that they'll slow dance. But people don't think, they, they hear a nice song and they think, oh, this is a nice sweet sentiment i'll play this as my wedding song i'll play this on my wedding not realizing that's incredibly creepy and weird how could you love somebody before you meet them am i alone jd no you're not this is weird stuff it's just it's based on a fucking whack concept but the story behind this and you know i love these little nuggets the label wanted a ballad they wanted a truly madly deeply on this follow-up album from 2000 but they, Savage Garden didn't want to do it initially. And, and the quote from the producer, and I fucking love this quote, was, Darren is a rebel. He likes to fight the establishment, so it was really difficult. About 40 minutes out of spite towards the record company was put towards writing this song. This is a spite song? This is a spite song. Doesn't come across that way there, Darren. It really doesn't at all. At all. All right. So let's hop on over. Let's go train hopping, if you will. This is another cold one, J.D. On over, yes. So another song that pisses me off on note one that is Freezing Cold Open by Train.
from every ShopRite grocery store to us and our ears here on the Perfect Playlist. It's Train and Soul Sister. I hate I hate this so much, JD. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my. We really have been going through. Well, we, on some level, we have, but we haven't for every song gone through. Like, okay, who picked it? I definitely picked this song. I know you didn't feel as strongly as I did. No, about the track. Yeah, I. I but I get it. Yeah, I, I can I can completely see this one and why it exists on this playlist and why you hate it so much. It's so Hey Soul Sister by Train, in and of itself, not a terrible song. It's constructed well, it's catchy and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's t- this is the song that's taking the fucking bullet from my vendetta against Pat Monahan, the singer. Here is his <laughs> list of sins. Insisting on singing every fucking song in the highest key imaginable. Stop showing <laughs> stop showing off, it's unnecessary. Rhyming sister with Mr. Mister. Horrible. Covering the entire Led Zeppelin 2 album. Who the fuck? fuck do you think you are the only purpose of that is to show off the world doesn't need an exact recreation of a masterpiece we have the masterpiece did they release that formally like it's formally absolutely it's yeah. like i can go to like spotify and, jam- and rock out to 100%. train doing led zeppelin yeah you know what I, led zeppelin i got this other thing i can listen to the train version just as easily right who would do that nobody would do that what are you going to do next repaint the mona lisa put up another rifle tower fuck you get the fuck out of here with that noise and regarding the writing of the song, they wrote this with this Nor- Norwegian pop duo. Monahan said, I wanted to write an inaccessy like song. One of the guys. Inaccess? Yeah. This does not reek anything of inaccessy. I to agree. Me. One of the guys, Espen, who's like a huge star. This is an exact quote, by the way. I wanted to write an inaccessy song. One of the guys, Espen, who's like a huge star in Norway. Okay, Patrick. <laughs> picked up a ukulele and said, hey, how about this? And I said, are you kidding me? And it made the difference. It made the words dance. It made sense. These words were meant to dance with ukulele and not guitar. Go fuck yourself, Pat Monahan. These words do not dance. They make me want to kill somebody. Yeah, I don't need Pat Monahan's full throttle vocal with a ukulele behind it. It just doesn't it doesn't work in my mind. You can sing in a lower registry once in a while, Pat Monahan. You don't have to always sing in the rafters. Right. And do you want to hear the worst part about this, JD? Yeah. I actually own this pile of shit song in my library because I put it on a meeting mix once and now I'm too lazy to delete it. Oh. And so I consider it a scar. It's gonna be part of me now. Yeah, this is a corporate meeting mix staple. It was it was made for like corporate picnics and and other jovial get-togethers. I don't know. <laughs> it's so be, safe. This might be a little a little risky from where we come from. I don't know. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's good. Oh, tonight. That's good stuff. It was the best-selling single of 09 2009. So barely made the cut for our playlist and I'm I'm glad it did cuz you are fired up, my friend. I, I'm just just angry about it. I'm angry about Pat Monahan that he exists. <laughs> that Pat Monahan is a thing. So this he, episode, JD was was cathartic, right? I think for you especially, you had. Some <laughs> I'm exercising demons out there. Which, by the way, the most exercise I've had in a year. <laughs> <laughs> that is fact. But you've had some 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 very pull quote moments on this episode. You've had yeah. some excellent excellent one liners and really got the poison out. Well, maybe we should do more of these types of episodes, J.D. Focus on the negative? I talked to you about doing a crowdsourcing episode where we ask our listeners, hey, we want your opinions on like 10 songs that you would like wiped off the face of the earth. And then we pick those songs and then just go nuclear, just go fully nuclear and get get a little sound clip from you, either from a voice note or we record you, whatever. Um, I think that would be fun. That'd be uh, amazing. mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear what we missed. 
Absolutely. Where yeah. can they find us on social and do that? Well, they can follow us on Twitter at the Perfect PL or on Instagram at the Perfect Playlist Pod. A big shout out to our listeners. I love getting random messages through Twitter or through text. If you know me personally, this clamoring for the next episode it truly madly deeply inspires us <laughs> to do more for you guys so that's savage deep bro that is savage that's oh yeah savage so <laughs> dig it unless jd has any more venom to spew remember to check us out on twitter instagram and as always play it loud play it proud we'll see you on the next episode of the perfect playlist we'll see your humps oh god don't go there <laughs>